Even though you may feel like you are, like you're stuck, like you're too far gone, like you've been crushed and just can't get a breath, like you can never stop running from the secrets that haunt you. You long to be known, but you fear that if people knew the truth about you, they would never love you. You become all things to all people. So now, you don't even know who you really are anymore. You struggle day after day to move past the pain of what you have done or what was done to you. You long to wake up, feel excited about your future, to be free. You're trapped in this insane cycle of doing the thing that you hate, but you keep doing it because it's all that you know. You are not alone. Even though every fiber in your body says that you are and that no one knows what it's like to have your struggle, you are not alone. You are unique in your story, but you're not unique in your struggle. And you have the chance not to be better, but to be new, altogether new. This can be the turning point. This may seem impossible, but what you need to realize is the most difficult step is behind you now. It happened when you walked through the door. The challenge now is to keep coming, to push past the discomfort, to keep believing that change is possible, to keep on pursuing the life that you want, to keep moving forward. You may have made mistakes, but you are not a mistake, and you will not be defined by what you have done or what others have done to you. It's God, God defines who you are, and He can change everything. So make that choice, right here, right now, in this room, that you will come again, and your life will never be the same. Hey, we want you to know, if you stay around very long, you'll figure it out pretty quick. But Hallmark, we are a bunch of messed up people. Right? Do you agree with that? Like, we are a bunch of people who have figured out we don't have it all figured out. Right? Have you figured out you don't have it all figured out yet? Uh, hang out with me very long. You'll know I'm just as messed up as anyone. Okay. I, I, was, I was looking to see who's going to say amen to that. I was... Get some frenemies today. But seriously, we want you to know that we're just, we're like normal, maybe abnormal is a better word, people. And as Soya said, maybe today you walked in and there was like a loss of hope or scared, frustrated, anxiety. You know, there's a thousand things and emotions you could have walked in. Maybe could be described as you're frustrated, you're alone. And we want you to know that that everyone in the room has felt that way before. Many of us felt that way today, even though we're a part of this community. And, and so what we have cr tried to create, what we try to do here at Hallmark is to just live in transparency, that we are a bunch of messed up people and we figured out we don't have it all figured out. And so every Sunday morning, on a typical Sunday morning, we have groups that meet before the 9.30 hour, we have groups that meet after the 9.30 hour, just to kind of help each other do life. Confess our sins and realize that we need help and we need community. And we have groups that meet throughout the week and on Wednesday night that are gender specific, three to five men, three to five women together who just read the Bible, pray, and do life together. 
Because we, again, have figured out we don't have it figured out. We have a, a recovery ministry that meets on Wednesday nights at 6.30. And, and really, this recovery group is for anyone that might have some hurts or some bad habits. I don't have any of those. Or some hang-ups. Right? If, you, if you're wanting to connect and have community at the... As you exit the building, there's two tables in the foyer that have some information about our recovery ministry. Grab a card. There's people there. You could ask them a question. You may not feel comfortable asking a question. Grab a card. Scan the QR code. There's a video that probably will answer all the questions you might be, be thinking about it. I want you to think for a moment this morning, what, what emotion comes to your mind when you hear the word alone? In fact, if... The one word, one emotion that came to your mind, I'm, I'm going to ask the question again. I want you just to, to yell it out when I ask the question, all right? What's the emotion that is brought up in you when you hear the word alone? Anybody say joy? Like maybe if you're a mom with three kids, <laughs> right? How many of you like to be alone sometimes? Okay, but it seemed like from what was the feedback was the, the general consensus of aloneness wasn't, yay, right? What, what about, and you don't need to call these out, but what about the word forsaken or abandoned? It seems like another step farther in that emotion, doesn't it? That when I am forsaken and abandoned and I leads me to be alone, well, then it really feels crushing, I think, or heard, overwhelming. And, and if I could give you the sermon in a sentence today, okay, I'm not going to just stop there, but, you know, if you could walk away with this sentence, then you might really grasp the entire message. And that is this, that Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was alone. So that you wouldn't have to be. Isn't that great news? Let me say it again. This is the sermon in a sentence, okay? For those of you that are going to take a nap, wait till after this sentence, okay? Jesus was abandoned and forsaken and alone. And remember, he chose that. He willingly chose that. And he was abandoned, forsaken, and alone so that I, so that you, would never have to be. Isn't that great news? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 because today we are here to celebrate. And we're going to celebrate the risen king, as it says on the screen, king of victory. But before we, what I want to do this morning is, is point to the scriptures that reveal to us how we can celebrate. I love the fact that Steve brought up 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul asks this question, what would life be like if Jesus wasn't alive? And he said it would be hopeless. Life would be meaningless. There would be no purpose. And as Steve already said there in Corinthians 15, Paul said, but he is alive. And it changes everything. Do you agree with that? 
So I want to I want to look at that for a moment what we're here to celebrate today, but I don't think that we can fully grasp the depth of how much we should be celebrating until we look back at what Jesus endured. But let's start with the good part. Are you guys okay with that? Matthew 28. We're going to read the first uh, 10 verses. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, and he rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, and they became like dead men. Seems as if they passed out, right? Verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the women, I don't know if we should point this out, but the men passed out and the women did not. <laughs> I have a couple of stories about that when my kids broke their arms, but we're not going to talk about that. I'll just say that it applies in my life. Okay, we'll put it that way. Verse 5, the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is, what's the word? He is what? As he said. Why are you surprised, it seems like the angel says. Then he, then he ushers them into the tomb, come see the place where the Lord lay. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you, verse 8, so they went out quickly. Can you imagine how quickly they must have ran out of there? Can you imagine the emotions that changed in just a moment? Coming to prepare the body and to see the body and to see death. And they showed up, and the angel says, he's not here, for he is, what was the word? He's risen. Go and tell the disciples, and go quickly. I don't think that the angel had to tell them to go quickly, but he did. And they went quickly, and it says, they, verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear. And I think that would be normal in this situation, right? Just a few days later, they watched their Savior crucified, possibly by some of the guards that are laying passed out at the tomb. And they've been living in fear the last few days. I love the next part, though. It says they were with fear and great joy. And they ran to bring the disciples' word. Don't you know this changed everything? From grieving to celebrating. A little bit of anxiousness, right? What's, what does this mean? What's going to happen next? Verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, what did he say? You can do better than that. What did he say? Rejoice. Can you imagine the emotions? The excitement, it's Jesus. He said rejoice. And what is, let's look at the response that these women gave. So they came and they beheld, and held him by the feet 
And what did they do? They worshiped him. And in this moment, Jesus doesn't stop the worship. Jesus is now the risen Savior who is worthy of their worship. Then he says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, go to Galilee, and they will see me. Can you imagine how quickly these ladies ran to go tell the disciples? Jesus is alive. And as we've already stated, because Jesus is alive, we can also have eternal life. Because Jesus is alive, all hope is alive. If Jesus were still in the tomb, all hope would be lost. There would be no salvation. There would be no no forgiveness of sins, no eternal life, no purpose for my life. So we celebrate. But again, let's I think in order for us to really grasp the depth of how much we should be celebrating, let's go back a page to Matthew 27. Remember what I said, Jesus was forsaken, he was abandoned, and he was alone so that we would not have to be. Matthew 27, beginning in verse number 45. Now from the sixth hour, which is noon, until the ninth hour, 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alone. He was forsaken. He was abandoned. Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. Then behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two, and from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints were fallen asleep or raised. Coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. This morning, I want to just briefly give you three thoughts, three moments in this passage. I think these three moments in, our, in the passage help us maybe get a little bit more understanding of what Jesus went through so that we could celebrate the resurrection. The first is this, unusual darkness. Anybody in here... Uh, you know, going to be honest enough, say you're scared of the dark, right? And you still think there's monsters under the bed, anybody? How many of you like the darkness? All right, we've got a few people, wicked people maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I, I only saw Ish's hand go up, so I didn't really, I'm not judging, 
I'm not judging anyone else. Sorry, Ish. Can you imagine? From noon until three. Darkness. Vance Pittman describes the darkness and he says, The darkness was a visible sign that God the Father had turned his back on God the Son and was pouring out his immense judgment for the sin of the world on his sinless Son. The lights were turned out. Just after God the Father didn't want to see anymore. Potentially it was as if God the Father didn't want humanity to look at the suffering Savior. Paul spoke of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he said this, God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. The verse is here on the screen. It says, he made him. That means God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. Jesus did not sin, but he became sin for us. In other words, my sin was placed on Jesus. You see, this verse tells us that God treated Jesus as if he had sinned so that he could treat me as if I had not Can I I say that again? What this verse, what Paul is telling us is that God treated Jesus as if he had sinned so that he could treat me as if I had not. Jesus was forsaken, alone, abandoned, so that I would never have to be. Unusual darkness. Verse 46 speaks of an unexpected question. Think for a moment of what Jesus had endured. The beating, the mocking, they had spit on his face. 39 lashes. Many men did not survive. 39 lashes. And for three hours, darkness, and I think silence. And I think as God turned out the lights, Jesus hanging in agony, and the world was silent. Can you imagine? I want you to close your eyes for a moment. This is the darkness. I want you to picture for a moment in your mind's eye whatever that image you see of Christ on the cross. Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God. My God, why? Why have you forsaken me? You can look up. 
Can I give you the easy answer to that question? Because of me. It was my sin. We just read that, right? He, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for, for me. It was, I, I'm the why. You also are the why. J.C. Ryle says this about this question. It would be useless to protect or to pretend and to fathom all the depth and the meaning of these words. In, in other words, we can't fully understand the depth of this question why. He was fully God, yet fully man. We, we, I can give you the easy answer. Why is because of me. It's because of my, my sin. But what this question does reveal for us is two things. It reveals what the cross and this question reveal to us today is that it reveals the horror of sin. And I'm, and I'm just as guilty as you, okay? But, but in our culture today, I don't think we view sin as bad as sin should be viewed. Right? It's, oh, it's just, it's just who I am. It's just a bad habit. It's just a character flaw. Right? You've never said that, right? I have. But what, what the cross tells us what it reveals to us is the horror of sin. The Bible says all have you and me. Paul would say he was the chief of sinners. I would stand in line with Paul and say, me too. We've all sinned. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. But the Bible also says that the wages or the punishment, the consequences of sin is death. What the cross reveals to us is that sin is terrible. What the cross and what this question also reveals to us today is that not only the horror of sin, but the, the holiness of God. All the way back in the garden, God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of that tree or you shall surely die. You see, the punishment for sin has always been death. What the cross and what this question reveals to me is that sin is terrible and sin separates me from a holy, righteous God. And sin always leads to death, which means separation from God. It also reveals to me that because God is holy and because God is just, he must punish sin. He said the punishment for sin is death. It's always been that way. And because he's a holy, righteous, just God, he must stay true to his word. But in his holiness, the Bible says God is love. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ hung on the cross for, for you, for me. Just as I can personalize that it was my sin that placed him here, I can also personalize that he hung on the cross for me. And the holiness of God demands justice. Do you know the biggest misunderstanding in religion in the world 
is that your good enough might be good enough. Pretty much all religion teaches some form of that. How many of you have ever heard someone say, well, I'm not really a religious person? How many of you have ever said that? I've said it. I'm not religious. I just want more Jesus. But here's all over the world. The main misunderstanding of, of all religions is that you're good enough might be good enough. There's never any assurance. You're good enough might be good enough. Well, Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What does that mean? When my good enough was placed on Jesus, God did not spare his son because my good enough is not good enough. And if you think when you get and stand before the Lord that you can say, that's pretty good. And Paul says, he did not even spare his own son because God is a holy righteous God. I I hate, no I don't. I'm glad to burst your bubble today. Your good enough will never be good enough. My good enough is far from being good enough. Are you guys tracking with me? He didn't spare his own son. What makes me think when I stand before God and say, look at all the good things I've done, that he would say, ah, my righteousness and my holiness demanded my son die, but go ahead. Yeah, you're a pretty good guy. My good enough will never be good enough. Unusual darkness, unexpected question, and the third thing is unexplained events. There's three events that unfold while Jesus is on the cross and he takes his last breath. Kind of crazy, actually. The first one is this. Verse 51, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. Now, this wasn't just a curtain, right? This was what history would teach us is this, this was 60 feet high in the air. It was 30 feet wide and it was four inches thick. Like it wasn't just a piece of thread hanging that happened to split in two. God himself tore the veil from top to bottom. What does that even mean? What is this a picture of? You see, the veil separated everyone from the presence of God. And when you went into the temple, there was the court called the the court of women. It was like the far outest court that if you were female or male of the Jewish faith, you could enter this place and you could fellowship. The next layer was a little more exclusive and it was only for the men, the Jewish faith. The next court was for the priest and only the priest could go in there. The next one was called the holies, the holy of holies. Contained the Ark of the Covenant, the the power and the presence of God dwelled. 
in the Holy of Holies. One day a year, one person, the high priest, could enter into the Holy of Holies behind the veil, the Day of Atonement. And he would make a blood sacrifice for the nation of Israel. History would tell us that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle in case he were to have a heart attack and die in there because no one could go in to retrieve him. God is serious about his presence. And when Jesus uttered those last words and took his last breath, God ripped open the curtain. And what does that signify? That you and I have direct access to God. You don't, be glad for this, you don't have to come to me to get to God. I figured someone was going to say amen to that for sure. (laughs) You have direct access to God. That's why Hebrews says we can come boldly to the throne of, of God to receive grace and mercy and our help in time of need. Like we have direct access to God. No longer were we going to have to go to the priest and have a sacrifice. No, Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. The payment was made in full. God's wrath was appeased by the death of his son, Jesus, and my sin was placed on him. And if I will place my faith in Jesus, then I will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. God no longer sees my sin because we know my good enough will never be good enough. But when I place my faith in Jesus, now God sees me as Jesus. And I receive the righteousness of Christ. That's good news, isn't it? So it may sound like bad news for me to sit here and say your good enough is never good enough. But it's actually good news. Because all you have to do is surrender your life to Jesus. And his good enough was good enough. The temple veil was torn in two. Then there was an earthquake in verses 52 and 53. And then there's this weird thing that happens that I don't really understand or really explain. But it says many of the Old Testament saints were raised back to life and they went into the city. They went into Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure exactly how this happened. Now, this is my opinion. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it says Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. I believe that when the timetable was this, when Jesus came back to life, the Old Testament saints came back to life. But it seems interesting in the text that we read that it almost implies that they were resurrected at the moment of, at the moment of Jesus' death, but they kind of hung out in the tomb, I guess, for a few days, and then they went to Jerusalem. It doesn't really matter, does it? But I believe, because 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, that when Jesus came back to life, the Old Testament saints came back to life. Not all of them. It says many. Now, this is going to be, this is weird. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't this be weird? Like, the, the story we just read in Matthew chapter 28, when the women went and they saw the resurrected Jesus and they ran back to tell the disciples, don't you know that they didn't keep it a secret? If you knew that Jesus and you had seen Jesus, wouldn't you have told everyone that you're running? Jesus is alive. And I just have to assume that word spread into Jerusalem, the holy city, and then all of a sudden, these dead people came walking in. Like, Grandma? 
I was at your funeral 15 years ago. You're looking good. Would your mind have been blown? Would you believe there's life after death? Yeah. And this is a foreshadowing of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. That one day, all who die in Christ will have new life. We will spend an eternity in the presence of our Savior. Are you prepared for that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? The third thing that happened, the unexplained event, verse 54. Let's take a moment to read this. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly. But before we read that last statement, let's understand who these soldiers are. Like, this is not their first rodeo, right? This is not the first time they've crucified someone. They've probably done it a hundred times, a thousand times. They're pretty good at executing people. They're pretty good at making it the most miserable, excruciating pain that they can make. And, and I think they probably enjoyed it. This wasn't the first crucifixion. But something was different. Something was different that day. Let's read verse 54 again. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. In this moment, they believed Jesus is the Messiah. And everything changed for them. In that moment, their sins were washed away. In that moment, they're clothed in the righteousness of, of Jesus because they believed. Later in the scriptures in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. Again, there's an earthquake. They're worshiping at midnight. An earthquake takes place. According to custom, the jailer, because Paul and Silas were going to go free, would be killed. He said, we're going to hang out. Don't kill yourself. And then he asked them a question. And I hope today that if you have not answered this question, that this is the question you'll be asking yourself. This jailer... Ask Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to have forgiveness of sins? What must you do to be clothed in the righteousness of God? Because you admit and you acknowledge today that your good enough will never be good enough. The answer that Paul and Silas gave the jailer that day is the same answer you get today. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Isn't that good news? Again, Jesus was forsaken, he was abandoned, and he was alone, so that you would never have to be.
his good enough was good enough. Today, if you're asking yourself the question, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask a simple question. Today, if, if you're wrestling with that question, maybe you've been a member of this church for 50 years and you're still wrestling with the question. That's okay. Maybe this is your first time to walk in these doors and you're wrestling with the question. That's great. Because the answer to the question is very simple and you can answer the question for yourself right now. What must you do to be saved? To have hope of eternity, to have forgiveness of sins, to have a Savior Jesus indwelling you. You just have to call on him. Place your faith in Jesus. This morning, I'm going to lead you through a simple prayer. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, he said, Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. So this prayer I'm going to lead you through is a prayer of belief. It's, it's the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. And today, if, if you would like to place your faith in Jesus, to acknowledge that your good enough is not good enough, but that Jesus died in your place, and you want to receive the gift of Jesus and of salvation, then right where you're seated, I'm going to invite you to pray. You may say something like this, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit my good enough is not good enough. I believe Jesus died for me. I confess Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I ask you, Lord, to save me because I believe. As our eyes are still closed this morning, I'm going to ask real quickly. If you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand for a moment? I, I just want to pray for you. I want to celebrate that, right? There's one. Anyone else? Just, just raise your hand. Raise it up. It's dark, so it's hard for me to see. So if you put your hand up high, it would be great. There's several, several. All right. I, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you, if, if you prayed that prayer, would you just stand where you're at? I want to pray for you. Just stand where you're at. All right, there's something. Just stand up. Just stand right now. If you raise your hand and you pray, just stand right now. Go ahead. Trust me, we're not going to embarrass you. We're going to celebrate with you. Anyone else, just stand right now. Now, could, could everyone just look up? Could we just celebrate what God's doing in our life? I'm going to invite everyone. Would, everyone. would everyone stand with me? Would everyone stand with me? What I'm going to invite you to do, if, if you stood and you received Christ, maybe you raised your hand and you were a little bit nervous about standing. That's okay. But if you pray to give your life to Jesus Christ today, let, let me just explain what this is today. The white balls in this 
display, represent people that we in the church are praying for, that they would come to Jesus, that they would place their faith in Jesus. My guess is that some of you that stood up today, your name might be in there. Someone prayed for you. The orange balls represent what you just did today, that you gave your life to Jesus. Your life forever, eternity forever changed. You are now a child of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? And so when we're going to sing, we're going to sing a little bit worshipful, blessed assurance as we sang earlier. But I'm going to invite you, if, if you prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to invite you as we sing to just come and grab an orange ball out of here, put your name on it, and drop it in the display. And if you want to write on two and take one with you, that, that's okay too. If you prayed for one of them, they're your one, come with them today. Celebrate that. Could we do that today? Let me pray. God, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray for those who've made a decision to follow you today, that you would give them the courage and the boldness to just step forward today and fill out this, this little ball just to signify that they have a new life in Christ. Thank you for those who've been praying for these individuals. And Lord, again, we just want to celebrate the goodness of God today. New life in Jesus. As we worship today, you can come and pray while we worship. You want to come and fill out a, a ping pong wall? There is also a little book here that you can take for free. Let's worship.